good to see everyone again. So blessed to be able to be here and to study from God's Word and to gather around the table. What a blessing it is. And at times like these, I think that we, that we realize indeed what a true blessing it is. When times come along when it's difficult to be here, it makes us all the more appreciative and privileged and honored to be able to be here. Last week we talked about lying. And I hope that one of the things that you took away from that is that when we lie, it's not just that we're deceiving and, and dealing treacherously or, or swindling one another. But that's done in the eyes of God. And I hope that we took that away and understood uh, the gravity of that uh, when we think about lying. And we looked at there at, at uh, the consequences for lying and how they are dire and how we see in Revelation how the, the fire that has been stoked and is burning uh, is reserved for murderers and idolaters and all those people who we easily think about as being wicked people. But in that list is also included liars. So we see with what uh, consequences lying comes. This week I want to talk about something that's, that's fairly closely akin to lying, and that is excuse making. Um, again, this is one of those things I think that we don't realize a lot of times that we do. Last week we talked about the little white lie, that it's okay sometimes to stretch the truth or, or withhold something here or there, and I, I think we realize, hopefully, that that's not the case. That we need to be truthful. As Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no and everything else is, is, is from evil. So closely akin to lying is, is excuse making. And, and I'll say that in, 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 in understanding that uh, sometimes what the excuse might be may not be a lie, but the idea that we're passing it off as the reason why we did something is, is closely akin because we're, we're trying to move the blame off of us. We're trying to give a reason for something that we did. So we're, we're bumping up right up against, if not into that territory of lying. And so what I wanted to do, as I often do, is look for examples of excuse-making from Scripture and, and let us learn from those. The earliest one, I think, is probably already coming to your mind. The earliest one uh, of excuse-making is we have the idea of excuses being made very early on in the Garden of Eden. I keep coming back, I've, I was going back and looking at some of the lessons I've been preaching re recently, and I keep coming back here to, to Genesis, the early chapters of Genesis, and I, I guess there's a reason for that. And the reason is we see these things starting off so very, very early in the history of mankind. And so, having said that, let's understand that if we go all the way back to the beginning of the first two people on earth, and see that lying and excuse-making and consequences for sin have been around since that long, we're not going to ever get away from it. We're not going to ever get away from these things of our human nature. The only way we get away from them is dedicated service to the Lord. That's our only chance. We're still going to make mistakes, but that's the only chance we have of living a righteous life, is to dedicate ourselves to not lying, to not making excuses to not purposefully doing things that would separate us from God. 
which is what sin is. So let's look here at the example. In Genesis chapter 3, if you'd like to be turning there, I don't, I don't have all these scriptures quoted this morning, so if, you're, if you'd like to turn there and, and, and follow along, I would encourage you to do that. This is a story we know oh so well. Um, if you get there to verses 12 and 13, this is when uh, Adam and Eve um, have come to, um, are being called out. God is calling them out for the, for the things that they have done. And so verses 12 and 13 there you can read, and I've just kind of paraphrased this, kind of put it in, in some language that we might use today. So when, when God confronted Adam about eating from the, the fruit of, the, of, the, of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam had an excuse. He said, the woman that you gave me, as he's speaking to God, I think that's interesting the way he's in, this is phrased, the woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. Now here we have some excuse making, don't we? Where did the woman come from? Well, God, you gave me the woman and she gave me the fruit and I ate. So we see, see the excuse making there already? That was Adam's excuse. It's this way, we almost kind of see this other side of this. If this woman hadn't been there, I wouldn't have done it. So what happens when Eve is confronted? Well, Eve has an excuse too. The servant, uh, uh, I should say it was the serpent. I should say the serpent there. The serpent tricked me and I ate. So Eve has an excuse as well. Adam had his excuse ready to go. Eve has her excuse. The serpent, he tricked me. The devil, he made me do it. From the very beginning, from the first sin, we have excuse making. And we see it in Adam and Eve, the excuses that they made. Let's move forward in time a little bit. Go over to Exodus chapter 32. Now, if there's ever been some good excuse making, if you want to go and, and look for some good excuse making, look at the children of Israel coming out of bondage in Egypt. All sorts of excuse making, all sorts of uh, of uh, wishing this and, and, and trying to turn attention away from that and wanting to go back and all sorts of uh, excuse making going on. This is the one I think that really stands out, at least in my mind. In Exodus chapter 32, we have the account here uh, that Moses is, is going up to Mount Sinai. He's already gone up and received the Ten Commandments and that plays into, into what we're saying here because of idolatry. The people already know that God has condemned idolatry. And so by the time we get to chapter 32, um, they're aware of it. Moses has been gone up on Mount Sinai for some 40 days. They don't know what has happened to him. So they say, Aaron, and if we remember about Aaron, of course this is Moses' brother, who is going along with Moses to lead the children out of Egypt. They say, Aaron, make us an idol to worship. So we don't know what's happened to Moses. Already, again, we see the, the wanting to turn back, the wanting to go away from what God has promised them right in front of their eyes and delivering to them right in front of their eyes. 
So they say, Aaron, make us an idol. Now, it's important, again, to understand that they're talking about idol worship here. Because the first two of the Ten Commandments have to do with idolatry. About you shall have no other gods before me and making graven images. So right here we have them transgressing both of those. Aaron, make us an idol, idol to worship. We don't know what's happened to Moses. So what does Aaron do? Does Aaron say, no, we're not going to stoop that low. We're not going to defile ourselves by going into idolatry. What does he say? No, he says, okay, give me all your gold earrings. And if we, lead, if we read on in the, in the passage there, verses 3 and 4, what does Aaron do? He makes an idol. He makes a golden calf. The language there, uh, somewhat tricky to read, it says that he, gra- he carved a, or engraved a, an image of a molten calf. I'm no Hebrew scholar, but if I put that together, you look up the word molten, it means obviously a melted. So he melted down the gold and carved it, cooled it, carved it into the image of a cow, a calf, and said, this is your God. Think about what's going on in all of that. This is not some random person that we've never heard of. This is not someone who's trying to... um, make a name for himself so to speak this is Aaron this is Moses' brother and he is the one who is doing this we come over to verses 21 through 24 and we see the excuse making and this is um, among the best excuse making you could hear when it comes to uh, looking for these in the scriptures let's read this because it's so telling in Exodus 32 beginning verse 21 it says, then Moses said to Aaron, now just Moses has come down, God had told him, your people down there are, are, are worshiping idols. Moses is angry, he goes down, he confronts Aaron, and he talks to him, he says, what did this people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? Verse 22, Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people yourself, that they are, that they are prone to evil. See the excuse making? You know these people, they're prone to evil. Forget the fact that he's the one that made the image. Verse 23. For they said to me, make a God for us who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought up, up, up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. That's true. That's what they came and asked him to do. But look what verse 24 says. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them tear it off true that's what he told them so they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf now among excuse making I think we got to give the title here to Aaron if you're going to make an excuse that's a pretty good one we just threw the gold in the fire and out came this calf that's some pretty good excuse making see all that had to happen in that because they stepped away, just, just that one step away from what God had told them to do. And look how it compounds upon itself. Turning away from God's law, then making excuses on why you did. Excuses, excuses. Look in 1 Samuel 15 as we move a little further through time. 
Another good one. I come to this one often. Some good excuse making here. Saul was good at making excuses. Remember about Saul, he's the first king in Israel. A very deeply flawed man. But he did some very good excuse making himself. Chapter 15, we have the account here that God through Samuel has told Saul to go and kill all the Amalekites. And not just kill them, but to utterly destroy them. That was the charge to the new king of Israel, Saul, to strike, to take vengeance upon the Amalekites. There was a reason for that. Going back some time, God said he would do that, and this is when he's chosen to do that. Utterly destroy the Amalekites. So, Saul says, okay. I've done that. I've gone. I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Well, you know, some of the men brought back some, some of the spoils, some of the finest of their livestock, but we utterly destroyed them. And so I love the, how, how Samuel addresses him and confronts him. He says, well, if you utterly destroyed them, what's this bleeding I hear in my ears, the bleeding of the sheep? What's this I hear in my ears? So the fact is he didn't utterly destroy. The men took back some of the spoils from war, and they brought back Agag, who was the king of the Amalekites, brought him back alive. Saul thought that was a good thing to do, too. So he didn't really keep the commandment, because he didn't go about and utterly destroy. And so he said, okay, well, here are the spoils. So you can see how he's already making the excuses. The excuse-making has begun. I, I, I've, I've gone to war. We brought back the spoils. Here they are. Then the, the, the story kind of goes, and, and has, he's shifting the blame here. He says, wait, the people brought back the spoils. Not me, my soldiers. They're the ones that brought back the spoils. Well, in the chain of command, the king is responsible for all those underneath him, right? And should be held responsible for them. But he says that the people brought back the spoils to sacrifice to your God. I've made this point so many times. I've been through this, this such a learning passage here about this. He's shifting the blame to the people, and then he's shifting his allegiance. Not our God, but Samuel, your God. Saul ranks right up there with one of those good excuse makers. Shifting the blame, putting it off on someone else. Let's go to the New Testament now. Let's go to Acts chapter 5. Another familiar story to us, Ananias and Sapphira. The early church is beginning. The converts are being made in leaps and bounds. And the new converts, the new Christians are eagerly selling their possessions and sharing amongst one another as they as they have the means. And we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and they did that. And they, says, they said there in verse, uh, it says about them in verse 1, a certain man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. 
and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. So Ananias and Sapphira say, Let, let's sell this property and we'll give the net, not the gross, proceeds to God. In other words, we're going we're gonna to sell it, we're going to keep some of the money for ourselves, and then we're going to lay the rest of it at the apostles' feet. Now, it doesn't say it specifically, but we can surmise from the way that Peter confronts them. It says, verse 3, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land? So we see how the, the process is going here. That they're, that they're putting it off as we sold it. Here's all the proceeds from the sale of the land. But they didn't. They kept some of it back. Verse 4, Peter says to them, While it remained unsold, did it not remain yours, your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? Listen, you have not lied to men, but to God. Remember how we talked last week about, and I mentioned it in the beginning, it's not just lying to one another, it's lying to God. God sees all this, of course. And so the stakes are so much higher then, isn't it? It's not just our dealings with one another and cheating one another out of money or whatever we might be doing. This is all being done in the eyes of God. We ought to take it that more, much more seriously. And so Peter asked him that. He said, why, why the net, not the gross? Uh, paraphrasing there, of course. And the consequences for Ananias were dire. Verse 5, and he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men arose and covered him, and carrying him out, they buried him. The consequences there were, were dire. So then, later on, Sapphira comes, and Peter confronts her about it, and says, did you sell the piece of property for such and such a price? And we look there in verse um, the end of verse 8, she says, yes, that was the price. She didn't know about what had happened to her husband. Verse 9, why do you say, uh, Peter's asking, why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they shall carry you out as well. She fell immediately at his feet and breathed her last, and the young men came and carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. We have some good excuse makers in Scripture, don't we? It's not me. It's not, I'm not responsible for it. Here's, here's the reasons. Here's what's responsible for this. So we can apply this in our, in our own lives. Who or what do we blame? Again, I, I mentioned... Human nature has been around a long time. It's still with us. Lying, excuse-making, all these things, they're still with us. It's part of what it means to be a human. So are we going to blame Satan like Eve did? Wasn't my fault. The devil made me do it. Is that going to be our excuse? 
let me just address that very quickly. James chapter 4 and verse 7, remember what James says there about how to overcome the devil? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I always like the idea of uh, the simplicity in that. The devil is not as powerful as he was in the first century when our Lord was on the earth and demon possession was around. He's been bound. He's been, uh, he's been greatly diminished in his power. So he still has influence. Don't get me wrong. But James says, resist him and he'll flee from you. So while he has power, we have power too, don't we? We have power to resist the temptation. What about the laws of physics? Again, I, I, I got to give it to Aaron. I, threw in the gold and out came this calf. He's blaming the laws of physics in, in a way. This is just what happened. I, I can't explain it. Do we fall for that? Do we fall into that trap? Travis read for us there in Romans chapter 1, that verse there about, uh, in verse 20, about seeing his invisible attributes, the things around us, in the things around us, in nature. So if we start blaming the laws of physics or just blaming consequences for the things that are happening, remember who set up the laws of physics that we know. Remember who gave us the creation that we enjoy and we live in and we breathe and move and have our existence. That was God that did that. So let's be careful about blaming those things around us that God himself has created. Do we blame others? There's an easy target. I didn't, somebody else made me do it. That's what Adam said, right? That's what uh, Aaron said. That's what Saul said. What me? It, Adam said, it, it was this woman that you gave me, God. Aaron said that it was the people, you know them, they're, they're prone to evil. And Saul said, you know, the, these people, they brought the spoils back. Or do we feign ignorance? Remember Sapphira. Yeah, that was the price. That was the price we sold it for. Do, do, do you feign ignorance? There's the one that really bumps up against lying, doesn't it? She knew what it sold for. It says in the, in the passage that she did. But she feigns ignorance. Do we fall into that? And the end of that verse there that Travis read, verse 20, about talking about how his invisible attributes are clearly seen. It says there at the end of that, so that they are without excuse. So when it comes down to it, there are no excuses. We have to take responsibility for our own actions. And we know that, don't we? We know that. We have verses like this that tell us that. In Romans 14, beginning at the end of verse 10, it says, We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. So we can play the excuse game as long as we want, as much as we want. But there will come a time when we'll have to stand before God and give an account for the things that we have done. And there won't be any excuse making then. We won't be able to blame others. We won't be able to blame uh, the devil. We won't be able to blame the laws of physics. 
because it comes down to us and the decisions that we make, whether or not we will be true to God's word or not, whether or not we will be faithful to him and take responsibility for our own actions. Praise be that we can overcome these things. Talked about lying last week. We talked about excuse making this week. Thanks be to God that we can be perfected in Christ. As humans, we have these things that, that are in, built into us. Lying and excuse making, those kind of things. If we're not careful, those things can overtake our lives. God has given us a way out. We're going to make mistakes as children of God. We're going to fall down. We've got to get back up. But he's given us the tools that we need that we don't have to do these kind of things. He's given us his word. He's given us these examples. This is what it looks like when you blame others. This is what it look like, looks like when you blame the devil. Don't make those same mistakes. Take responsibility for our own actions. So we can do those things in our lifetime. And we'll be better people for it. And we'll be better children of God for it as well. We're looking for that day when there won't be any excuse making. We'll stand before God and God will say those things to us. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's put our hope there. Let's put our aim there. Let's live our lives so that that goal is achievable when that day comes. Well done, good and faithful servant.